welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Jeremy and I'm here with my wifey Rosie and today we are talking to Ollie. So Ollie is my little brother and we had a wonderful conversation talking about our childhood and how we grew up with parents who had a very open attitude to religion, to discipline, to things like that and we were taught very much to do what makes you happy and to kind of follow your dreams and have a very open mindset about life. We also travelled as children and I think all three of us have a very strong passion for travel. Ollie went on two gap years throughout university to travel to several different countries, volunteering, backpacking, even travelling in a van for several months. So we talk about his experiences, including one which was quite traumatic, so make sure you stay tuned for that. And then we move on to talk about his career in transport economics. We talk about how he ended up doing that, what exactly he does, and also his passions to become an entrepreneur. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. I absolutely bloody loved it. So yeah, enjoy and let us know what you think. Hello, Ali. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Rosie is very nervous today because we are interviewing her little brother, Ali. <laughs> Yep, hello everyone. I feel like I can't introduce him because he's my brother and like I don't really know what to say. I don't know what I'm going to ask him. So Jeremy, you can introduce him for us. <laughs> okay, well, Oli, Oliver is, like we said, Rosie, uh, little brother, even if he's really tall. And yeah, uh, we are recording this episode live from England at the moment. So what I'm going to ask uh, first is we're going to go to your childhood. I know Rosie's point of view about the childhood that you had you two well yeah. you three with Josh including uh be interesting to see your point of view as maybe the the little one of the, the last one of the family you know um you two were brought up in a very free open-minded environment uh, that both your parents uh, cultivated you had a lot of freedom you went to school with like a very diverse uh, population and stuff like that mm. and yeah how how did you feel about growing up in this environment did you feel like it was different than most of your friends did you feel that you could do whatever you wanted because you had the freedom <laughs> that you want you know like, yeah. i don't know how did you well we did get have it? some rules it wasn't that like <laughs> yeah. crazy yeah no overall like childhood for me was just joyous i think yeah. like it was just so relaxed and there's no pressure for mum and dad to do anything. It's just always, if you want to do it, if it makes you happy, go for it. And we'll be there to support you and do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think school-wise, so primary school was more diverse. And we went to the primary school that, yeah, the kids came from a diverse background. And the other one mean more come when you had bad experiences? Is it this one? No, no Dallas Road in okay, Lancaster was nice. That had like... Yeah, like Ollie said, people from different places. And then high school was, you can tell them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Dallas was primary school. There's like no uniforms. Um, and it's just, yeah, it was great. It was really nice. Like really like the teachers and yeah, nice little place. And we had the freedom to walk there. And yeah, I don't know, it felt more independent, especially like the final few years of primary school for me, Rosie and Josh had already finished. So I was on my own. Oh, yeah. So then it's like, okay, they're no longer at the school. I can, yeah, be myself a bit more, walk to school on my own, walk back on my own. Yeah, it was nice. Not be looked after by a big sister. <laughs> yeah. And then the flip side of that was getting to high school and on my first day, got into a science class and uh, they read the register and they're going through and they're like, Oliver Collinson. Oh, 
are you Josh's brother? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's my big brother. He's four years older. All right, you go stand outside. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. Like, yeah, okay. This is what the next five years are going to be like. Uh, yeah. It was good fun though because <laughs> so Josh was four years older and he was one of the like prefects kind of. Mm. So their year would look after our year. Um, so everyone knew Josh as Big Josh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you're safe. Safe. Everyone <laughs> thought he was cool. All the girls in my year fancied him, which was <laughs> annoying. All the girls in my year also fancied him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no, it was, it was it was cool. It was it was good after a few years. Once like when you get settled in, obviously with friends, but yeah. also with teachers, realize very quickly that everyone's different. Yeah, you're not just a calling son. Now you're yeah. gonna be trouble. Then. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Josh was not that bad. He was just very cheeky. Like he didn't. Yeah. Like cause fights and things. He <laughs> no, was no. Just answered back a bit, didn't he? Yeah. What about in terms of religion? Because I know mum and dad are very open about that as well. I remember dad at one point was like, if anything, I'd probably be Buddhist, but not really anything. And like, we didn't get christened or baptized or anything like that. What are your views on the way we were, we were raised in terms of the religious stuff? Um, yeah. So I think we spoke about it a bit growing up, mm. but mum and dad are atheists. And yeah, dad explored, you know, if you were going to be religious, which would he be? Uh, and yeah. I also like the principles of Buddhism, but not, yeah. yeah. I think we've all grown up, like that's so scientific minded as well. Yeah. And it's just a case of, well, I think we're all quite scientific minded. Mm. And I think that if we wanted to be religious, that would have been fine. Yeah. It might've been a bit of a chore getting mum to take us to church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but other than that, yeah, I think, I think they would have supported it. Yeah. As as an only child, I, I could only speak about other people's stories, but most of the time when you hear people talking about siblings and stuff, being the last one can be a good position because, I don't know, the all, all the shit has been done by the older ones, so you kind yeah. of get a free pass for everything, but you can also be... I don't know, left out or I don't know, whatever. Like, what was your, how did you deal with being the last one? How did you feel about it? Yeah, I think there was definitely advantages to it. Ah. <laughs> uh, I guess from like childhood, the stories were me following Josh and Rosie around and like, yeah, would always give away their hiding positions in hide and seek because <laughs> I was the last one to get into the spot. And <laughs> I think through childhood, yeah, I don't think it made any difference. I think the other thing that we always joke about is Mum was so busy with Josh and Rosie that as I was, as I was a baby in like the cot still, they just like put me behind the sofa <laughs> in the sunlight, just chilling, going to sleep. And like I would take myself up to bed as like a two, three year old and just like, yeah, chill out on my own, in my own space. <laughs> I think the other thing as well with parents is that usually with the first child, they have the most trouble. Yeah. Because they're always trying to push the boundaries. Yeah. But I think also with Josh's personality being so cheeky and like troublesome, like he mm. did that anyway. But your personality is different in that you're more sensible anyway. And I don't know if that's because mm. you didn't have to push the boundaries because me and Josh had kind of already done it. But I think it's just kind of your personality. You're more sensible about things and more like level-headed about things. And Yeah. Like, yeah, like Uncle Andrew, 
and grandma would always laugh at the fact that we'd go over to say his house for a weekend or a night or something and I would pack all of my overnight stuff <laughs> and I'd pack a bag for Josh because he wouldn't remember anything <laughs> so <laughs> but yeah there's yeah I, I think Josh definitely pushed the boat and it was easy to see like okay he got in trouble for that but he didn't get in trouble for that so I can that's where the limit is yeah so I don't have to get in trouble. I can just toe the line a bit. Talking about your personality and, and stuff like that, um, there's two things. Rosie has always told me that you're the kindest person in the entire world. And something that is really interesting about you is that I don't think you meditate, right? No. But it looks like you've been meditating for your entire life because you're like so zen and yeah. so... in in control uh, of your emotions and everything and in a good sense like not you're in control in a way you hide them because you, you're like sensible person and everything just uh, you're very in tune and stuff and and it's yeah it's quite impressive especially from me being like very different from you yeah and using <laughs> meditation like to calm down and control my stress and everything like yeah. how, how are you so wise and zen <laughs> so i also think it's part from it's going back to childhood and Rosie and Josh weren't always the easiest to deal with. <laughs> and I think, I mean, we spoke about it the other day. I think I learned from a very early age that you're only annoyed as your like conscious monologue. Mm. And if you just tell yourself that you're not annoyed, then I can be like super zen straight away. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I think I have this like ability to just shut things out really easily. Uh, yeah, just... Yeah, you don't, you don't get caught up into the thoughts and... and yeah, and I, th I think part of that is also just from our childhood, like growing up. Mm -hmm. Everything was, you know, do it if it makes you happy. Uh, if it doesn't, then, you know, you tried it and move on to the next thing. I also yeah. think mum was very good at explaining things like, oh, Josh is upset because he's getting bullied at school and that's why he's doing that. He doesn't mm. mean it. He still loves you. And like, so it was like we always talked about things and things were explained in like mm. a nice way and like you know, dad's not here because he's off working to earn money so we can go on holidays and it's not because yeah. he doesn't love you. And like, it was always kind of explained to us why things were happening in like a nice, calm way that we never felt like, well, I didn't, I never felt like neglected or like, yeah. I don't know, like mum was amazing with us, wasn't she particularly? Yeah. And it was the same with people at school. So it was, you know, so many people out there because when you're growing up, you just kind of take your childhood for granted and you take your family for granted and you think yeah. everyone has the same upbringing as you. Yeah. And for me, it was like, well, so why aren't more people like just chill? <laughs> like, why aren't people just happy doing what they're doing kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, you realize when you're older that people don't have that luxury that we had. Yeah. And our house actually became a bit of a safe house for people, didn't yeah. it? Like we had a lot of like friends and things who would come and stay over with us because maybe their home life wasn't as good. And it was, I think mum loved that as well, like being that yeah. house that like we fed them and they slept with us and it was... A very like welcoming place for everyone it doesn't matter what you're going through you could always come to our house and like eat food and sleep well and mm. yeah like as a teenager even from what 15 16 we'd have we had a decent like big bedroom and we had i don't know maybe four or five spare mattresses on the floor in my <laughs> bedroom and the sofa and i had like whatever five to ten people stay <laughs> the night every weekend it was oh, great and it's just like, well, mum would rather us be yeah. somewhere that everyone's safe. Mm. 
And people told, like, people opened up to me as well. I think that's a big thing I got at high school. Like, lots of people from, yeah, very different upbringing from others would open up to me and say, like, oh, this has happened. Mm. I'm really upset about it. And I basically became this person that lots of people confided in. And it's like, okay, trying to manage helping them or just, but basically just listening to them. Yeah. Yeah. You're a good listener. And yeah, yeah you had a lot of practice from a young age, basically. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting also because you're saying that, but you know, you all three have very different personalities. Mm. And yeah, even if this very safe space uh, was very good for the three of you and you can see a pattern between the three of you in terms of do things that make you happy in this. It's all ingrained in you three. Yeah. Uh, however, the Zen attitude, uh, you know, it's yeah. not it's not obvious for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> that's more yeah. like a you only thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's why it's interesting. Also, the yeah, how you I don't know how you get and you grow from the same environment and you become different persons and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, because you could do it with meditation, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> I think also like Dad's main expression from growing up was shit happens. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's just like all the time was, okay, well, stuff happens and you just got to deal with it. So I think that kind of helped as well because you always knew, all right, well, stuff's going wrong for mom and dad, but it's fine. Like, you know, they went through bankruptcy. They went through all these massive things and they're still happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about perspective and, yeah, just the mindset, like, shit happened, but what can I do? And, yeah, you can either be a victim yeah. mentality and, and just complain and go down or move on and, yeah it's just finding yeah. the next step as yeah. quickly as you can and yeah those are great values and it's a good ground to build a life on really mm. no, yeah i think that's also like one of eleanor nicknamed me mr positive <laughs> ah. <laughs> so like in every situation i'll just be like okay well but at least this it's yeah. like okay yeah, I can see where you're Definitely got from. that from mum. Yeah, <laughs> definitely from mum, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's good and sometimes, you know, I mean, Eleanor's taught me as well that sometimes going through grief and things, you actually don't need a Mr. P, a Mr. Positive person. Yeah, it's also okay to be sad and Yeah, you just need someone to be real with you and yeah. let you feel how you're feeling. Which yeah. Yeah, so it's all about balance, I guess. Yeah. Um, you're very intelligent and... <laughs> always pulling like a yeah. oh, I don't know about that uh, yeah, <laughs> modest as well yeah. um, can you tell us about what you did in uni slash college and how you got into the job you're doing right now because it's I think a job that don't a lot of people don't know about what you're doing yeah uh, but it's actually very interesting uh, that it's one of the things that happened in the world that we don't know about yeah I find quite interesting so if you want to tell us about that yeah sure um the excel wizard yeah (laughs) so i guess growing up i was always interested in businesses and making money and just kind of that side of things you were always very good at saving yeah i remember like if we got given money to like go and play in the arcade games on holiday like you would spend maybe a little bit and then save the rest so you could buy sweets or something or yeah I don't know, you're very, I remember you're very good. Like, if you've got birthday money, I'd, like, be out the next day spending it on mm. sweets and things. Or you'd be like, no, I'm going to save it. And then next time I get some money, I'll save that. And then add up to... Yeah. Always like that as a kid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because I, I knew what I wanted to get with it. Or I knew that there would be something. Yeah. I was like, well, I don't want that right now. Yeah. But, yeah, so 
I was always interested in business and things. I did an economics uh, degree at University of Leeds. Um, whilst I was doing that, I did a few transportation economics modules, um, which is kind of, you know, setting fares, setting prices, uh, lots and lots of just economics that, yeah, probably we don't need to go into right now. <laughs> uh, and then from that, I decided that, well, actually, I applied for basically every industry there is. So that was actually really good in terms of for every cover letter and every interview I went to, mm. I learned about, you know, a whole section of the industry. So yeah. insurance through to all sorts. I even applied for like a few gambling websites. and <laughs> Yeah. Anything to do with money, anything to do with finance. I just kind of went for it, applied mm. for 100 jobs, whatever. Got to the final stages of quite a few, like KPMG and places like that, but didn't get the job ultimately. Um, I then decided that I would go back to uni and do a master's in transport economics. Mm. Um, yeah, and then got that and got a job as a, well, transport economist. Can you explain like quickly in a few what that means? Because I don't think most people know what that means. Yeah, so there's lots of different things that you can do with transport economics. Um, a lot of it is, well, yeah, depends which team you get into. So one thing that I've done is working on aviation industry. So helping airlines and airports kind of fund their expansions. So I was working at Heathrow for a while, looking at their third runway. Um, I also worked in the train industry for a while. So that was, at the time, the UK rail network is split into franchises which is like a geographical location and the government owns them, but leases them out to companies to operate them. And we were helping companies basically bid for the right to run it. Mm. Um, either by saying, okay, we're going to run this many trains, this service, everything else. Yeah. It's interesting. I'd, like I think the things we don't know about, but yeah, basically it's like figuring out how much money you can make using this train or this mm. highway or yeah plane or whatever and is it worth for people to build whatever or to do those extensions or whatever like yeah there's basically like model what the financial side of things to see what's possible what's worth and stuff like that yeah there's there's massive teams that go behind especially transactions so you have we would always be like the technical advisors which are basically okay this is the asset say it's a road and you've got toll systems on it Okay, how good is the road? How often do you have to resurface it? Do you have to put in, you know, uh, soundproofing barriers and all these different elements that you don't really typically think yeah. about, <laughs> especially driving down the road. Yeah. Uh, then you've got like the, so that's kind of capex, opex, so capital expenditure, operational expenditure, which is all like the side that I like because it's getting into the nitty gritty of the numbers. Okay, how much have you historically spent? Yeah versus your demand or capacity or whatever so like that's the analysis kind of data analysis section that i like doing um and then there's financial advisors that basically give you the value of the asset legal advisors for all of the legal issues yeah it just it's a huge <laughs> team of people involved every time and a lot of money <laughs> being spent yeah, yeah before even doing any any work in a way <laughs> yeah um doing your uni years you went traveling 
Yes. Twice, if I quite right. Yeah. So. At some I, point. Yeah, I went traveling before university, hmm. so I'd seen that Josh had gone traveling, um, my big brother, sort of. Yeah, before university as well. So I applied for university, but got a deferred entry. So I knew I was accepted. I knew I was going to go, but I just had a full year break. So I kind of wanted to do that to get away, do some traveling, go see places. Like we traveled quite a lot as kids, especially mm. compared to, you know, friends and things. It's like, okay, well, mum and dad, when we were growing up, we just moved into this new house. We didn't have a kitchen yet. <laughs> and the option was, do we buy a kitchen or do we take the family to Hong Kong? And we went to Hong Kong. <laughs> so we just sat there with a gas burner for a while, like camping stove. So I think we've always, like all three of us love traveling and mm. going out, seeing new yeah. places. Um, so I did that for, yeah, my first gap year, I basically spent three months working in a nuclear power station, uh, which was very different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? It were basically... The power stations every, I don't know, I've forgotten how many, how many years in between, but they shut down for three to six months oh, yeah. and have like a full clean, they, you know, remove some equipment, make everything fresh and new again. So we're doing that for, yeah, three months. It was 12 hours a day for 13 hours, uh, 13 days in a row. Oh. Uh, to finance uh, your travel. Yeah, to finance the travel. So anything over 40 hours, because you do like 96 hours a week. <laughs> so after 40 hours, you got paid time and a half or double yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it made loads of money. It's <laughs> like for an 18-year-old. Yeah. I was working in Wilkinson's stacking shelves, and, but they gave me like five, six hours yeah. a week. Yeah, in three <laughs> so, months, you got much more money than yeah. you would have in yeah. maybe 10 months somewhere else. So yeah. yeah. Where did you go? Remind me. I know you spent some time in New Zealand. Where else did you go? Yeah, so that first year, I... Sorry, did you go on your own? No, I went with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, she also worked at the power station for a bit as well, so, yeah. <laughs> we're both stacking it. <laughs> so we went to uh, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia. Uh, yeah, New Zealand, we spent three months in, in a camper van, basically, touring around the whole country. Uh, a few weeks in Australia where I went and learned to dive, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, and then we had a month in the US, two weeks in LA, oh, okay. and two weeks in New York. Yeah. yeah. A lot of very different places, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> With different social economic stuff and, <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Um, but I guess because you were used to travel, uh, like especially at Malaysia and stuff like that, was it like a kind of shock for you to see, you know, how some people live and again, like put perspective in your life or this is something you're kind of used to thanks to your education and childhood. Yeah. I think when you, like when you first fly into Malaysia and you're in Kuala Lumpur, it's this big bustling city mm. and it's, you know, that's obviously that obvious that there's wealth there as well, yeah. but there's also massive poverty in and around. So then, so we spent a full month in Malaysia traveling basically up and down the country mm. um yeah it's huge huge disparity between different areas even in, in malaysia and then compared against our childhood mm. everywhere like even holidays that we've been on you know 
France, Italy, Hong Kong all have money. Um, but again, like everyone there was so welcoming mm. and so happy. Mm. Like the second gap year I went on, uh, I was basically traveling around Asia for the vast majority of it. And one of the poorest places I think I've been to was Cambodia. And the kids were just, just, I don't know, elate all the time. They're so happy about mm. everything. And like, they just see you and start waving and smiling. Like everyone you met would just start like welcoming you and yeah. smiling and waving. And yeah, it was really nice. You see that they have like absolutely nothing. So I, in Cambodia, I worked in an orphanage for a few weeks. Well, part orphanage, part just village school that was just run by a Western charity essentially. Yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, so Americans, Canadians, English people kind of go over. It was a really good place to stay in terms of like the network that you build at the hostel. Mm. Um, but you go to this like temple that's, well, stunning location. <laughs> and there's just kids like coming out of these little wood shacks, kind of not enough food, not enough anything really. Mm. Uh, obviously like hand-me-down clothes for a, for a few generations kind of thing. But they're all just so happy. Mm. Yeah, it helps put things in perspective and mm. be grateful for what actually matters and yeah. what's really important <laughs> and not all the fluff that we pile up in our lives that we spend hours worrying about every day. Yeah. yeah. I remember the first time I came back from traveling because it was kind of weird because I ended, like, I spent a few months in Asia then went to Sydney, New Zealand, mm. and then ended in LA and New York. And obviously by New York, <laughs> it's like, okay, all the money is gone. <laughs> I just basically lived on bagels for two weeks because that's all we could afford. <laughs> it's like, okay, what, what free activities are there to do in New York? Let's go do them. Um, but yeah, I remember getting back and being like, okay. I went food shopping with mom and was like, oh, everything's so expensive. Yeah. Mm. Like you start thinking, well, that two pounds can get me a bed and breakfast for a, yeah. a night, you know. What I find every time that I come back traveling from this kind of poorest countries is like I very I, I appreciate little things like tap water that I can drink. Massively. <laughs> like every yeah. time I come back I'm like, Oh yeah, I can just drink that. Yeah. Um and yeah, also like very aware and then it passes because life comes back but mm. very aware of like all the things that we have that are literally like so unimportant yep. in a sense and that we care so much about for some reason yeah um but it's always a good reminder i think to do this kind of travel like once in a while just to get you know just a little slap in the face and like mm. in case you're complaining and getting comfy in your life and stuff like this is a reminder that it's actually pretty good and and uh, other people, you know, have it very differently. Yeah. So grateful about it. Yeah. I think the biggest one for me, the biggest like slap in the face for that was going to Fiji. Mm -hmm. And Rosa did the same program that I did. I don't know if you spoke on the podcast about this before, but. Yeah. Briefly, but. Yeah. It's basically a three month uh, scuba diving, like taking stock of how many corals and fish there are in 
different areas so that Survey. yeah surveying so that the local communities didn't overfish a certain area mm. and they could basically define an area as being taboo to fish and then let it replenish and restock itself mm. um so we're living on this island that didn't have electricity um i think the villages did but we didn't um didn't have flushing water didn't have like a yeah. toilet or a shower or yeah the toilet was a hole in the top of the hill and you had to carry a bucket of seawater up to flush it um there was lots of just yeah the water that we drank was rainwater mm. uh caught on the roof and filtered and living in huts we didn't go at the same time by the way but we did the same thing didn't we yeah yeah living in wooden huts with crabs burrowing in <laughs> yeah and possums and all sorts trying to steal all your food and yeah yeah again like stupid one it? Like we take toilet for granted right we take yeah. flushing for granted yeah. the, the biggest part of this trip was like you could order a few things in when people went back to the mainland like that was great because you had whatever a few little niceties mm. but i think we'd been there for about two two and a half months um and a yacht came by like you'd see yachts going back by in the distance like massive ones must be you know hundreds of millions or whatever yeah. just crazy and this little catamaran came past and they stopped and came to shore because we were just like waving at them. Uh, it was like three New Zealand blokes <laughs> and they basically went around to a church, well, to a local village, gave them some, uh, was it guava? Mm. Um, as like a, hey, can we stay here? They pitched up for the night. Right. They invited us onto their yacht for an evening and we're like oh my god it has a toilet <laughs> wow it has running water and they're like oh do you want a beer I'm like what it's cold like ice was just incredible yeah. like yeah mind-blowing to have ice available and everyone's just like oh this is this is just amazing yeah. and then yeah the next day you're like oh that was good yeah but now we're back to real no life yeah nothing again yeah yeah, it's always a good reminder and I feel makes you practicing gratitude like that is something that I think we should all be doing on a daily basis. It helps you, again, stop some chatter in your head and <laughs> and help appreciate just life as it is. Um, traveling was really, yeah, you, you said that it's part of your family. Uh, you, you've done that since you were a kid and everything. Um, what are the, well, favorite place you've been to mm. and uh, best, most memorable experience that you had? Two different things. Oh. The uh, one that gives you goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. I think favorite place I've been to as a country is probably Cambodia. Mm. There's just, yeah, there's some stunning ancient you know buildings and i think it was more the place was amazing the scenery is amazing and the wildlife everything but also just the people make it mm. yeah. um as countries go new zealand's got to be a close second because mm. okay. we'd love to go live there maybe at some point uh it's just so far yeah <laughs> what, what, what was it about new zealand that you liked uh again like it it wasn't, I mean, it's 
been a long time since I was there, but it wasn't too overpopulated. Mm. There's so much you can do. There's just like natural, like natural springs going, having a hot mud bath, like loads of just volcanic activity that I found really fascinating. Um, And, you know, true to British hobbies, just go walking. Like, Yeah. yeah, it was great. What about the most memorable experience? Oh, <laughs> I don't know, really. I think some of my diving is probably like up there because mm. in Fiji, diving every day and even just a snorkeling was like, I'll remember those <laughs> forever. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially for you, I appreciate fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I basically am a fish. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fish nerd. <laughs> yeah. Massive fish nerd. Uh Yeah, like Sri Lanka was amazing as well. Went there for two weeks, I think. Again, just, we, I mean, we stayed on a little Airbnb on a place called Turtle Bay. Mm-hmm. And within 30 seconds of going into the water, every single time there's a turtle. Oh, wow. It's like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> It's just incredible. <laughs> like, I thought it'd just be there for like a namesake, yeah. like try and get people there, whatever. Every single time we went in, it was like, okay, there's wow. a turtle. There's a turtle. <laughs> it was amazing. Okay, we have to go. Yeah. yeah I didn't know about that. Yeah. Um, Tell us about India. Because I know you and Eleanor, your wife, had different views slightly. <laughs> and it's one of those places where some people love it and some people hate it. What did you think of India? Yeah. I mean, I think I'd preface by saying like, India's obviously enormous. Yeah. yeah. I'd, like varies hugely based on where you are Mm. uh so we i was invited by a friend to go to his wedding um down in the south of india uh it was great it was how many people do you remember (laughs) (laughs) like the whole village wasn't it yeah i mean i think it was a couple of villages yeah Yeah. (laughs) they basically had a community center slash not sports hall but like a a massive area <laughs> and that was just for like the dinners a few days beforehand uh every i think like the wedding probably takes you know best part of a week if not longer <laughs> um the wedding itself was yeah i don't know over a thousand people maybe mostly just crammed into this tiny 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 room <laughs> uh and it was yeah baking hot as you'd imagine we were definitely getting punished by the heat <laughs> Uh, we're just kind of looking at us like, yeah, they're not going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> the food, though, was oh, just unbelievable. It was so, so delicious. Um, so we'd basically sit down, uh, say it was like a courtyard. They'd sit you down on one long table where you're all shoulder to shoulder. Mm-hmm. So there's no one in front of you. Um, and they'd put a banana leaf on the table in front of you. And like 20 guys would come by, each with a bucket of curry or rice or, yeah, anything. A lot of it, we had no idea what it was. <laughs> and they're just like, yep, here you go. <laughs> Slop on the table. <laughs> it was oh delicious. God. It was so good. Um, yeah, we often think like if we knew the names of any of these dishes, we'd love to go yeah. back and make it because <laughs> yeah. they were phenomenal. Mm. So, yeah, very good food memories like amazing memories of the wedding um it's very you know it's very strange kind of going barefoot a lot of places Mm -hmm. 
Mm. So I went to a temple and there's, you know, a couple thousand people inside the temple. It's a huge complex, loads of different rooms, loads of outside space, elephants in there, whatever. Inside? Uh, They were inside the complex, but outside of a building. Yeah. Um, And you take your shoes off as you go through the gates outside. So outside there's thousands of shoes <laughs> and like we just got there straight from the airport so we had like our massive luggage everything so we had to like pay to check it in and everything so i think we found it a bit strange walking around barefoot everywhere and you know on the way there there's lots of people urinating in the streets and mm. in the fields and cows and things i remember yeah saying. cows and dogs over all the roads just yeah the driving was mental <laughs> just yeah. chaotic um worse than other places you've been because indonesia was mad we've been there as well and that was mad yeah i think there's a lot of places <laughs> like <laughs> the swerving to overtake going 80 mile an hour in a 30 <laughs> mile an hour zone around a bend <laughs> like in a tiny oh, yeah. tin can yeah. yeah and then there's a lorry coming the other way and you're like oh yeah can we, we not do this recently. anymore yeah. <laughs> And like we were, so traveling with Paul, we were basically, so we had this big coach crash. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a very memorable, obviously, for wrong reasons. I wanted to ask you about it. If, like, no, not going into detail, but um, what do you not remember from now in terms of uh, what happened in the moment, but... That was a very tragic accident stuff that happened. Um, you know, like how do you think about it? What did you, what listen like do you take for you know in terms of I don't know appreciating life stuff like that? Like what? Yeah, is that something that? Yeah, I think so. I'll go through the story. Basically, this is the second gap year that I was traveling with my friend Paul. Um, we'd basically gone around all of Southeast Asia, like the countries that we were in all on coaches and this was like the last coach trip that we had booked in uh it was like the best coach that we'd been on as well significantly mm. like had tvs monitors everything mm. else um and then yeah we essentially got to the top of this hill and the brakes gave way didn't work uh the driver managed to get us to the bottom of this hill because we nearly went straight off a cliff um and then at the bottom he obviously would gained loads of speed and ended up turning on its side. And yeah, it was, yeah, pretty traumatic. I mm. think we looked into it, you know, when we got home because the local press out there isn't great. Mm. Uh, you'd read in the news like, oh yeah, there's no, no casualties. Everyone's fine. Everybody got taken to hospital. Whereas in reality, everyone hitchhiked to hospital. Mm-hmm. It's like any car that drove past, they would stop and you'd get like the most injured person in your car. Um, yeah, there were some pretty horrific things that happened. I think my my whole thought at the time was just trying to make sure my friend was safe like and mentally stable and not panicking massively. Um, so I was kind of fixated on that. And I think that kind of helps me through the situation of okay, I'm going to make sure that he is the best he can be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I do definitely regret kind of not going back 
Yeah. Oh, did that make me cry? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean. This is why I love Ollie. By the way, he's so emotional, and but for men as well, that's something I want to talk to you about while I'm crying. Sorry, <laughs> but like. Ollie is such a crier and I bloody love it about him because I think for men it's such a taboo thing. Have you ever felt like it's a taboo thing to cry? Have you ever been told that bad things because you're emotional? No, no, never really. Good. I mean, we've grown up with mum crying at X Factor. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's not even the sad parts of X Factor, that's when they're singing. Yeah, that's the happy parts. We are a crying family, aren't we? But We are, yeah. No, uh, I don't know, like, I think I've always just been emotional and I don't think, I've never felt less of a man or anything like that. I think people that have this whole attitude of men can't cry, men can't be emotional, they have to be strong. I think you're an idiot. I think you just, you're not being true to yourself and you're not gonna ever actually like deal with things. Mm. If you just, yeah, ignore the issue or you don't say how you're actually feeling and you don't let it out, then eventually it's gonna bubble over and yeah yeah i don't know where we got that from i think it's just from seeing mom all the time <laughs> like dad can be emotional as well Her dad's not like the typical macho man that's like you know builds stuff and fights people and like he's not super macho he's quite emotional and things yeah. not as much as i mean mum cries for anything but yeah i think as well having a man who's not like don't be a pussy don't cry men yeah. don't cry like that kind of attitude yeah. i think also help, helped yeah that's is that's not exactly a He's not Larry, he's not, he's not a boisterous boy kind of thing. No. But yeah, he's, he's just very real and that's mm. kind of pass on, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's more about, that was normalized in your childhood, like seeing people crying or something. Like I've never seen, I've seen my parents crying maybe twice. Mm. Like this is not something normal in my house. Yeah. So when you don't see something happening, if it happens, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, and especially if people are trying to hide it or to quickly, you know, like, I'm okay, I'm like, put it away. Mm. Even if you're not told anything, as a child, you're sponge and you say, okay, so when this happened, I need to hide it or I need to push it away because, you know, if adults do it this way, it must be right. Yeah. Uh, so you just <laughs> take that as a, okay, this is normal thing to do. And mm. then, yeah, it's it's, it's just like, for me like that was my normal when for you your normal was just you want to cry cry you know yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. and obviously i think has a big impact on how you yeah how you see it and how you feel about it how you feel okay because you know it's just something normal that happens in your home like <laughs> just mm. whatever it is yeah yeah definitely definitely mm. so you are you you mentioned that before um kind of attracted by economic business stuff like that uh, this is something i know you would like to pursue in the future uh, where is that coming from this ambition are you ambitious um would you say you are i think i used to be more ambitious like i used to want to get into you know one of the big companies and be this yeah i don't know big big deal broker or something mm. But actually, I really like the the actual analysis side of it more. Mm. I've always just been the logical thinker. Like, I loved playing chess as a youngster. And, yeah. 
I think traumatized by that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ollie would say to me, Do you want a quick game or a short game? And he'd yeah. either have me in like four moves or he'd maybe let me have ten moves, but it was either a quick game or a long game. Yeah. Yeah, I was being thoughtful, you know. <laughs> yeah, less so. Um but yeah, I th- I think I'm still ambitious and I still want a lot for my life. Mm. Um there's a lot that, you know, inefficiencies in business, in like team management operations just wind me up. Mm. So that's <laughs> that's one area that I'd like to pursue. Um, and then, yeah, also just, I think that's the other thing that we've all got is the ability to just, okay, I want to do that, so I'm going to go and do it. Mm-hmm. Mm. So we, like my wife and I we've started a few businesses and some of them were a bit of a failure but we still learned lots so like the first one we did was um a street food business and we were selling basically a make your own pavlova stand because pavlovas are amazing mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um and it was great and I really enjoyed doing it but then we also had some horrific days where we had the beast from the east, which was like a massive snowstorm came into London. Uh, and we're there trying to sell pavlovas. <laughs> I think we sold seven pounds that day. Yeah. Uh, and as as the day goes, it was, you know, awful business-wise. But it was also hilarious looking back yeah. on it. Mm. And being, you know, Mr. Positive through that <laughs> and through the day, just like keeping us laughing and things. Yeah. Yeah, it was just... For me, it was a really good memory, even though business-wise it was a massive fail. Yeah, mm. but the it's true that the three of you um, are quite creative in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but also entrepreneurial. You all you you all have projects going on. Uh, the three of you. Mm. Is that something that you go from again your parents, your childhood? Uh, or it just somehow happened because they keep telling you do what you do, do ma- what makes you happy, and that's a consequence of that. You think? Or yeah. So I, I think I've always, <laughs> I've definitely always been seen as the least creative one, but I think that I am creative just in ways that they don't see. So like yeah. computer coding, programming, that kind of side. And I think Dad's the same. So he's a computer programmer, and he's creative in that sense. Um, but I think I'd drive to... Just to question, uh, did you think you were not creative as a, when you were younger because of yes. that? Yes, yeah. Because creative is painting or making pots or drawing or stuff like crafting. Yeah, And yeah, because you are not doing that, you were not creative? Yeah, I yeah. was like, I was the logical financy guy yeah. with Rosie doing textiles, painting, everything, Josh painting, mum doing her ceramics. Yeah, yeah it was... It was almost like me, Josh, and Mum were the creative ones, and you and Dad were the logical ones. Yeah, that's the way that like I think we all kind of saw it without ever really saying that. But. Yeah, and I think I thought that way as well until like got into like coding and things, mm. and it's like, well, actually, that's yes, it's very logical. Like programming itself is a logical, you know, it's just problem solving, but you have to be creative about it. Yeah, and I think that's where I saw that. Okay, dad's actually creative as well. It's just mm. we've never appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. I had the same quote-unquote issue <laughs> uh, for years until I 
went to Miami. Actually, I've never seen myself as a creative. And I think it's Carlos, our friend, who told us something like, like you're doing a podcast right now. You know, like you're creating something. Like so, you are creative. It's just yeah, not crafting well, whatever. But yeah, yeah. But like, lots of different things. Like, yeah, like being a creative is just creating things. That's all it is. Like it doesn't have to be crafting or photography or whatever. Like as soon, as soon as you create something, you're being creative. Like being a chef, you know, cooking is being creative because it's you know trying things and new flavors and stuff mm-hmm. like that to get something new. So yeah, that really shifted my view on being a creative and you can be a creative even if you spend your day like what people say geeking on a computer or whatever like it doesn't yeah. matter <laughs> it yeah no exactly i think also people generally think of creative people as being really extrovert as well mm. and like mm. i can always turn on the extrovert side in me but i'm very naturally introvert mm. Mm. yeah and i think that's also like a yeah I just think that's the perception from society of if you're creative, you're outgoing, you're like this big bubbly character kind of thing. Yeah, and also creative people are supposed to be messy and disorganized because that's how creativity comes out and mm. stuff like that. When yeah, when you're organized, rational, analytic, that doesn't go with the usual definition of being a creative, mm. which that's also why I've never thought I was a creative because I know I'm rational things like no <laughs> science <laughs> not creation yeah. you're also creative with your diy things and i was gonna i was thinking like i want to talk about his fish tank how can i like <laughs> how can i like weave this in together but like you make things out of your 3d printer for your fish tank yeah. that like solves a problem so yeah. talk to us about that and also about the fish tanks i want to know about that <laughs> yeah so yeah obviously i am part fish so I had to have some of my fellow kind in the lounge with me at all times. Uh, so yeah, that's the, the eyesore in our house, as some would say. Um, yeah, there's there's loads of stuff that basically when I was getting into fish keeping and have a saltwater tank, uh, there's lots of equipment out there which is eye-wateringly expensive, but with no need to be. Mm. And there's loads of stuff that you can just... DIY on your own so watch loads of YouTube just kind of understanding the chemistry of the tank and like all the elements everything the nitrogen cycle and then from there I started designing my own way of doing things so you'd watch a video of someone making a filter and you're like yeah but that's great but they should have done that to make it better mm. so we would just have a go at doing that myself um and then I think that led on to me yeah eventually buying a 3d printer um the first few things i did you know i fixed a vacuum cleaner little you know benign stuff like that that you're like okay the print is kind of paid for itself because we've not had to go out and buy these other things so it's i think a lot of people get hung up on oh you're wasting plastic or well a lot of it is starch anyway that is decompostable Mm. but it's also you're saving yourself from throwing loads of things away yeah yeah so for me, yeah, that's a big draw to it as well. Uh, and then, yeah, I printed lots of stuff for the fish tank as well. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some things that, yeah, I might potentially turn into, you know, business ideas at one point. Mm. I've got like a long list of things <laughs> that, products that I think, well, I need that. So why haven't other people made it already? Mm. So. What makes you want to have your own side soul slash business what motivates you into it what attracts you 
it's a good question, really, because I think people would assume that you're not satisfied in your job if you're trying to find something else. Mm. And I really enjoy what I do. And, like, I really enjoy the team dynamics and, um, yeah, my progression with that. Like, I've actually really loved my career so far and it's enabled me to do lots of things and grow and project manage and everything like that. But I also, I don't know, it's just the, I think it's part of the, I want to show that I've built something mm. and it's the, like, I'm helping people by creating a product or creating something that they will use. And like, I'm already doing that with my work because I'm helping companies buy each other and yeah. like these massive billion dollar transactions mm. that, yeah, sometimes it's fundamental on my piece of work, which is bonkers. <laughs> uh, think about it. Yeah, it's mental at times. <laughs> but then there's other times where it's like, you know, I think it's a part of just, you always want to learn more as well. Mm. I think that's part of my job as well is that I keep doing, well, previously I'd been doing similar type of stuff over and over again, but in different settings and different projects, different transport assets or different assets anyway. Mm. Whereas learning, like creating a business on your own, you are the person that has to solve everything. Yeah. <laughs> like you can't just send an invoice to the finance team to go deal with it like you are yeah at the beginning you have to do everything yeah <laughs> multitask yeah so i i tell like i'm very open with people at work and say well you know me and my wife run this other business and they just they're like okay what do you do then I'm like well i'm head of marketing head of finance <laughs> head of logistics head of transport <laughs> the list goes on yeah uh and they always say like oh that's amazing like that's brilliant and you'll gaining skill sets in your outside work that you can bring into work. And mm. I think it's a beneficial for everyone. I think the worry from work side is that at one point it could become the main, it could gig. become the main <laughs> gig. Yeah. <laughs> but even, yeah, I know you told me that even if, um, it doesn't become the main thing, you mm. would always have probably something on the side just to keep you busy and entertained and keep learning. Yeah. Like it's just something that you like doing anyway. Yeah, I think as long as as long as I've got extra time, like outside of work and outside of helping businesses that I'm already involved in, like I think I would always want a side hustle just yeah. to, I don't know, I, I just love tinkering. Yeah. And that's part of it as well. Hmm. So like work is your nine to five, often longer. <laughs> uh, and that's also part of one of the reasons I love the fish tank. Mm. And when I first got it, it was lots of learning but also lots of tinkering and just you know playing around trying to make things better it goes back to hating inefficiencies and things like that uh and i think owning a business is also like you can streamline things massively which i love doing but it's also just yeah tinkering and expanding yeah <laughs> it's funny i'm just thinking about it i think you probably take after granddad quite a bit because he was a bit of an inventor yeah and he enjoyed tinkering and having his own businesses and i mean we still see what he created all the time when we go for a drive yeah. and i think it's kind of i wonder if from like a child i don't know if we even notice as children i don't know i mean dad used to show us all the time and tell us all the time that oh that's something granddad did yeah. so i wonder if that and then also the fact that like mum has got her own business and dad works very hard like he's a bloody hard worker mm. I think having that environment as well has kind of put us three into that like 
you can do what you want as long as it makes you happy mm. plus you've got to work hard plus like I think we're all quite creative in terms of making things I think it's kind of and also our personalities I mean it is partly to do with us as well but yeah. do you think the same and that it's probably come from that as well yeah definitely like I I feel as I feel like I'm the odd one out in the family because I've got a full-time job <laughs> <laughs> like you know how weird that is a family of five and like growing up everyone's parents would go to work or the mum would just you know stay at home mum whatever or yeah. or the dad was and yeah either you had a full-time job and you're employed by someone and you have to go whereas our family's never been that dynamic no. um, I mean I have had jobs and I like I've had employees and jobs, but I've hated it. Yeah, and, you and you've always had, career. and you've always had a side hustle that was going to be yeah. your main career. Yeah, it's funny how we're like that as a family, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think everyone just, you know, if you meet someone for the first time and they're like, "Oh, you got brothers and sisters," and you're like, "Oh, yeah, well, my sister's been living over here, <laughs> like in France, Miami, wherever." <laughs> yeah, my brother's in Austria. Like, oh, what do they do? None oh. of you are married with someone from the uk yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was find that funny <laughs> yeah so we're all yeah we're all just doing our own thing really yeah and then i'm the odd one that's got a quote quote proper job yeah. <laughs> which it isn't but it's just that there's a full-time employer yeah yeah where do you see yourself in five years oh geez <laughs> this, is, this is flashback to all of those <laughs> graduate recruitment events yeah um difficult one really i think i'd probably be self-employed um with probably a business that i don't even know exists at the moment <laughs> i like that <laughs> like <laughs> that's probably the most realistic answer i think i'll probably still be working on my like for the engineering company i work for um but probably like three four days a week um do you think about where you want to be in five years or you just take things step by step without thinking about it yeah i'm more step by step without thinking about it i think i know i have a vague plan like each year i guess hmm. i don't like sit down like i hate the new year's tradition of okay i'm gonna make this change well make the change whenever you think about it yeah. you know it's only because it's october or january yeah <laughs> So I think I always have a plan of, okay, well, this is, these are the next things that I see as being important to build um, and go from there, really. Mm. How do you feel about failing, failure? Because you, you talk about some business that don't work and everything. Mm. Um, obviously related to, again, the way you all brought up and the mm. values that you had. Uh, how do you see failure? Yeah, so I never, I guess it's, uh, I never really see them as failures. It's just another step that, all right, didn't work, but it's it's the lessons learned. I think that's how I've always thought about it. And like, it obviously depends on the scale of the failure. <laughs> uh, mm. Like our Pavlova business, for example, we had really good days and we had really bad days. And was the whole business a failure? Well... I think it could have been a success, but I would still see it as a success because it got us out there. It got us down the path of being entrepreneurs. And like, we now have a business that's doing really well. Yeah. So it's, yeah, 
it's hard to say for all things but generally yeah i'm mr positive you know like <laughs> it every failure gets you to where you're going yeah and also it's how you define failure like i say like it could yeah. be a failure from a financial mm. point of view but it can be a success in terms of what you learn and growth and mm. where it got you to so there's no right in one wrong answer in a way it's just how you mm. define it yeah i think that like the biggest thing about failure is if you're not worried about failure then it's so much easier to get going and just start things yeah so many people are paralyzed before they've even started because they might fail mm. yeah and if if you take that away then you just have the attitude of yeah well i'm just gonna go do it <laughs> and if it doesn't work then so be it but i'll learn some lessons along the way that's interesting you say that because that's most of the time this is related to fear of judgment and stuff like that because people don't want to be seen as someone who fails mm. they don't want to be judged as someone who did the thing and yeah and didn't make it or whatever because we live in a society that rewards you know winners and stuff mm. like that and wins and and money and stuff and being seen as someone who yeah doesn't success whatever that means yeah it's, it's not seen very well as a society and people love to judge people mm. i think that scares a shit on people because they're just worried about what other people think about them <laughs> that's probably what they're paralyzed of starting i think yeah i think i'm probably in a weird position than most people because the people i have in my life are close people and they won't care if i fail I won't care if I fail. I think if you've got people out there that are going to judge you, then yeah, maybe you feel differently. But I'd also be like, well, why? Why are they? <laughs> yeah, why are they in your life in your yeah, circle? No, yeah. If if that's the reaction. Yeah. No. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. And and maybe like the to another kind of question like that. What's your definition of success? Like, how would you? Um. If tomorrow you say like I'm successful, mm. what would that mean, in a sense for you? Like, what is when would you define yourself as someone successful? Mm, yeah, I think there's. I think people generally would answer that by saying, "Okay, I need to be making this much money, or I need my house to be this big, my car to be that. I want to be traveling. I want this many days per year to myself." Uh, I think <laughs> you said I was modest. That's fine as well. Yeah. I mean, that's not a bad answer anyway. Yeah, I think, I mean, you said earlier that I was modest. I think I would say I'm already successful because for me, it's more about just being happy and being happy in yourself. It's like, a, yeah. Good. I like this answer. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I'm successful already because I'm happy with what I'm doing. That's great. And if, yeah. <laughs> Again, I think that goes back to our upbringing again is mm. if you like what you're doing, then yeah. Yeah, then it's a success, yeah. Mm. I, I agree with that, but yeah, it's nice. It's nice to hear because <laughs> we don't hear it all, often <laughs> enough, so it's a good one. <laughs> we had a little break while Jeremy was thinking of a question earlier and Ollie <laughs> said, oh, I forgot to, like, he didn't fully answer the question about the crash in terms of what he had learned. So Ollie, what did you learn from that crash? Yeah, so I think that I learned that, I mean, you come away from the crash feeling massively lucky to get out of it. And yeah, you have memories, but 
everything's fine. Mm. And like, very fortunately, me and my friend were fine. And, you know, the first thing you do is you go tell your family and you look forward to seeing your friends again. And yeah, people were asking us, like other people were traveling with, would ask us about it and be like, well, why aren't you going home? Like, you have to go to see your family. You have to talk to people about this. And me and my friend were like, well, you know, we know what each other have been through. Mm. We're the best people to help each other right now. We're going to keep traveling. Mm. And I think the lesson that we learned really was, yeah, make the most of being with your friends and family. But then reflecting on it now, I think it's the same as we we're saying about the yacht with the, you know, having cold drink for the first time in ages was amazing. Having ice was just unbelievable. <laughs> and I think you kind of, I think I've lost that same sense that I had at the time. Mm. And yeah, need to bring that back post COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's normal. Again, this is something mm. that we get on with life and we go yeah. back into our worries and stuff and, mm. But yeah, it's good to have a little reminder once in a while. Mm. If it could not be a car crash, that's better. Yeah. Uh, if you can find a way to have a reminder of the thing without going through a trauma. Yeah. That's, but also, it's, but, but sadly, most of the time, it is when we go through something very shitty like that, that yeah. we actually remember it. Oh, massively, yeah. Um, and, and this is just a human thing. I don't know why it's this way, but mm. like, we are way better with... Not well better, but like, yeah small reminders are less impactful than big huge reminders yeah everyone so. your brain tells you to protect yourself by living in your little bubble and yeah. you're, you're happy but when something big happens you get this big slap in the face as you said and it's yeah yeah but there's definitely lessons there and conversations like this help you know it's mm. reflecting yeah yeah do you have a quote that you live by no <laughs> I don't need that enough, 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 to make you feel better. I'm like trying to create an answer. No. Yeah. You have one, Rosie. Come on, share it. Well, mine is that nothing lasts forever. So if it's a good thing, mm. you should try and like enjoy it, cherish it, and like have a good moment. Mm. But also, if it's something bad, like it's not gonna last forever. So you know, next week, next month, it'll be gone. So mm. it's fine. But that's mine. That kind of keeps me. Like if there's something bad going on or something good going on, I'll remind myself, well, nothing lasts forever, so mm. let's enjoy it all. You know, it'll be gone soon. Yeah. No, I think the I think the quote that I've, you know, used the most in my life was that's one. Just stuff happens. Yeah. And you you figure out a way through it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Staying grounded. That's else with that. Mm. Mm. All right, one last question. Oh, it's the biggie. <laughs> question we ask everyone. If you could have a conversation with anyone, dead or alive, famous or not, that you think is the most interesting person you could talk to, who would you pick and why? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, you both know that I know nobody famous <laughs> and i pride myself on that um the person i probably want to speak to the most is mum's dad oh that's my answer oh, that's funny you have the same one yeah oh. yeah so he died before we were born and yeah heard so many stories and 
I feel like we know him. But yeah, that'd be great. Mm. I always say that because grandma sat in the room, so I'm going to whisper this. But <laughs> she still talks about him like she's still, you know, in love with him. She misses him. And mm. okay, we're both sat here crying. Thank you so much, Al, <laughs> for talking to us. <laughs> no, it's amazing that you both have the same answer for the last week. Did you know that was my answer? No. That's always cool. my answer. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Lee, for recording this episode with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We only cried twice. That's not too bad. That's mm. all right for calling some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's any given hour, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's been so good. Thank you all for opening up. And it wasn't as awkward as I thought it'd be because I was like, I know everything mm. about this kid. What am I going to ask him? Not a kid anymore. He's like 30 something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to record this. I can't wait for all my friends to listen. Um, if you are new here, make sure you go and follow us on Instagram. Make sure you leave us a review if you want to. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Ollie's not big on social media, so I'm not going to recommend his Instagram because there's no photos on there, is there? I've got two. Two? From about five years ago. Right. So I'll, I'll link it in the thing. We'll anyway, link so. something, some way to contact <laughs> him if you want to say hello. But otherwise, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. Bye. Bye-bye.